0: They're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.
1: Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis steer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems. On the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now, become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit Maui Nui Venison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com and use promo code BEAR for twenty percent off your first order. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. We got it, we got He's
2: it. Just playing the Dutch oven.
3: <laughs> I wandered so aimless in a life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear savior in. And Jesus came out like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more dark. No more night now. I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. That's right, sing with me. Just like a blind man I wandered along. Worries and fears I claim for my own. Then like a blind man that God gave back a sight. Praise saw the light I saw the light I saw the light no more darkness no more night now I'm so happy no sorrow inside praise the lord I saw the light
1: <laughs> <laughs> excellent finally <Jay>. nailed it <laughs> nailed it Josh filmmaker on Josh the Josh Lodge cast iron dutch evan <laughs> welcome to the bear grease render great to have everyone here on the bear grease render we've got a a great lineup for you today to my left i have uh, misty newcomb hello who's accompanying me on the banjo <laughs> to misty's left we have brent reeves brent great to see you you put too much salt in the gravy mm. i don't know if that's possible I'm yeah, we you. just okay. We just made a big, huge, like twelve man <laughs> yeah. lim- football you know, s- team skillet size. We we figured we could have fed twelve men an average helping of gravy, which is about a quart. Brent says too <laughs> much yeah. salt. I wasn't going to say this, but last time Brent cooked me gravy, I didn't think it had enough salt. I have what? to say, I saw that video.
4: Yeah, and I don't remember you putting salt in it in well, the video because he didn't. Ooh, Brent. Well, no. Uh, <laughs> you... <laughs> <laughs> wow. You was basically made
2: paper mache. <laughs> <laughs> no, everybody puts the right amount of salt, their own salt, because mm. you can always put. S- I'm 100% in. with Brent on this. But you can't take it out.
5: Uh, 100%. Because Clay Newcomb likes an enormous amount of salt. I and for me, too. it's like a little bit too much. See, my, so Alexis I'm with,
1: was here. Now, I'm okay, with Brent. S- too much salt. Like, if you eat too much salt, what are what are the symptoms of that? Like, high, br- blood, high pressure. blood pressure. High blood pressure. So have, they say. Thirsty? I have, I have so incredible I have pressure,
4: great. I have great blood pressure.
5: Clay also has had multiple nights in the last year where he couldn't sleep because he had Consumed so much salt. Well,
3: how do you? That
4: you is, don't that know would that. Be
1: a slight we need exaggeration. To hear more about this. Twice, okay. Oh, I'll tell you. So, how many Twice times did I say I ate salt Twice pork? Twice this year. Twice? No, not this year. It hadn't even happened this year. Twice in the last three years, I've eaten salt pork. Where do
4: you? Where does one procure salt pork?
1: At the right grocery store. <laughs> pe- petty Jean Meats. <laughs> Thank right, you. Very right. much. Okay. That's okay. Exactly. Salt right. pork is incredible stuff. It yeah. is incredible stuff. But man it will send you through to the roof. To the Better than ER. coffee? But <laughs> I, I, I don't know. For real, I couldn't sleep. I, I told Brent, I called Brent after I ate salt pork one They're time, like your heart and I said, is your... I said, I woke up three times last night and <laughs> drank dreading. out of the bathroom <laughs> faucet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he literally did. You oh, know yeah. you're thirsty when you go in the bathroom. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but don't I don't eat that much you. salt that often. So Brent Reeves, I, I respect your gravy gravy stuff i'm and with now, josh so i like a little salt i like See, my now, salt cooked so, into the Ale-
2: alexis was here and she doesn't put salt in anything she's from texas and she's crazy <laughs> but that's the way it's just the way it is and if if mama don't want salt in there daddy don't put now it. No, that's
1: in not there. a texas thing that's uh like a that's an alexis thing that's like a girl from tyler texas it's never <laughs> <laughs> put her foot in the grass before <laughs> yeah, that's her yeah that's my girl yeah <laughs> Great lady. <laughs> a really great person. She, she is. is. <laughs> she Not is. much of a okay. tomato
5: farmer or salt to, eater. No, <laughs> to Brent, she'll she'll kill to, a
1: to Brent's left, Isaac Neal. Assistant producer of Bear Grease. It's big. Wow. Assistant to the Yeah, we always introduce him like that. I mean he is. Yeah, I mean, Me and I just worked a lot together on Bear Grease. Every yeah. day. I've been day.
6: I've been uh, sowing the seeds of getting a promotion by promoting you. <laughs> How's that gonna work? I want you to be bumped up to executive producer so then I can be the producer. Uh, oh that's a good idea. Rising tide we much all make ships. up our own
1: titles around here so <laughs> we can do what we want. He needs to really Got apply himself.
6: So. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping in the next five years I can get promoted to producer. I think you're yeah. there.
1: So our, our really special guest this week, though, Ooh. to the left of Isaac, is my brother, Zach Newcomb.
7: Hey, everybody. Wow. Wow. so Nice Zach, to be here.
1: Yeah, Y'all didn't know I had a brother, did you? Until the last podcast. <laughs> you, have well, got, you have a brother? I've actually got two. Is this po- your
5: first time on the Bear Grease podcast?
7: And the Rinder, yeah, 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 the yes. B-
5: because I think that you've got some bones to pick with Clay.
7: Do I? I probably have many bones. Well, to pick. you're going to have to be more oh, specific. Oh yeah. you Ms. Got, got mad at me about something.
5: You about one of the and you said, oh, what did you, I get mad at? Because Clay said he's the only one of the Newcomb brothers who made it through the Gary. <laughs> let me just let me just pour some salt I in the wound. this. I Speaking
7: of salt, through, exactly. This to have the a talk after this. <laughs> and you're
1: the only actually, one here that doesn't know it. <laughs> actually,
7: Clay <And> you Clay <laughs> has multiple talks after the podcast. You can have him first, <laughs> Mister. <laughs> I'll take him next.
1: No, yeah, yeah. I said I was the only Newcomb boy who graduated from the Gary that, Newcomb School of Hunting Hard Knocks. And that wasn't the Bear Grease, though. That was the Well, and then I remember you podcast. said, Clay, you said that as if me and Tyler failed. <laughs> and, and, and you said me and Tyler never were
7: in the school. Uh, we
1: never wanted to
5: enroll. Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh,
7: I, I, I have some memory.
1: But Zach was a feature guest on... This last Wetzel Deathwind podcast. So what's Zach, it like?
4: What's it like to be a featured guest on the Bear Grease podcast? I've know, always
7: wondered. Josh wouldn't know. Josh still <laughs> Just hasn't something, made Josh. It. One of these days, maybe. One of these days. Yeah, so know.
1: Zach, what are your what are your credentials inside the mental health field?
7: So I'm a clinical social worker. I've been. And I, right now I'm in private practice. So I have my own office in Northwest Arkansas uh, where I uh, you know, do individual therapy, see people with trauma and depression and anxiety, see, see multiple ages.
1: How long have you been doing that?
7: Uh, I've been doing that since um, 20 years, probably. 20 well, years. Well, not not in private practice. I was a clinical director for a bit. I've worked at some group homes. And then, yeah, yeah, in private practice. Done a lot of in-home work with families. Have you ever diagnosed a frontiersman
1: from the middle ground? <laughs> a Frontiersman
7: <laughs> from the middle ground?
1: Yeah, what they call the middle ground. I have not. Good. Okay, That wait, wait. was a trick question. I've got
6: I've got a... Oh, yeah, yeah, because you can't diagnose someone who's not in person. I <laughs> have a more <laughs> pressing question. Okay. What if a frontiersman from the middle ground walked into his office today? What would
7: they be diagnosed with? I mean, well, I mean
6: it, it, who it would knows? be fair
7: game. Yeah, it would be fair game. No, no, it's I mean, time. like,
6: I'm I'm, not saying they time-traveled. I'm just saying some like, dude shows up I'm wearing buckskins, scalps on his belt. I mean... What do you
7: start talking I'm to that guy about? I'm going to first look at the condition of the skin... Thinking maybe zombie at okay. first, yeah. right? I want to rules there, that scan. out, uh, and then from there it's it's on. I don't know. We're yeah. gonna do lots of scans and tests.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're we're gonna come back to you, Zach. So to, to Zach's left to, to finalize the introductions. Josh Landbridge, spillmaker. Great to see you, Josh. Fly
4: fisherman, deck builder. You yeah, name Josh it. Josh
1: has been helping me build a deck. It's true. Hey, so all this, uh, all the I've been doing a fair bit of construction as of late, um, building a deck, and we're getting ready for a few things. And uh, I told a story earlier today to Brent and Isaac that I had not remembered in a long time. It had almost been erased from my memory. When I first started a landscape company circa 2005, something like that, I had, a, I had a 16-foot trailer, I had a truck, like a three-quarter ton short cab Chevrolet truck, and I had a Kubota tractor, small Kubota tractor. Well, the, the area I was working in, Fayetteville, Arkansas area, is really hilly. And there's a lot of people building on these pretty steep slopes and different things. Well, I, this is something that you learn when you're around heavy equipment. You learn it real quick. But I had never worked with anybody else, so no one had taught me this. Which I proceeded to teach everyone after me. This. So I backed my trailer down their driveway because you got when you got down there, it was like real tight and you couldn't turn around. There was this little section of concrete and it was like gravel and then concrete. I'd backed my trailer down in there to unload all the stuff and whatnot. Well, it came time to leave, finish the job, and I'm pulling the tractor into the trailer. And my truck is on the gravel. My trailer is on the concrete. And my truck is like pointed uphill pretty severely. 12 feet behind the tailgate of my trailer is a very steep drop off that just goes down the mountain, trees. It was kind of like built up red dirt where they built a concrete pad and then it just dove off down the mountain. Well, I I go down there and square up the tractor to the tailgate of the trailer and start driving onto the trailer. Well, I didn't have any little legs on the back of my trailer, so when the weight of the tractor was on the back of the trailer, the hitch of the trailer lifts and pulls the weight. You know, the the, the, the ball is attached to the truck. So it lifts the back tires of the truck essentially off the ground almost. And I'm like halfway on the trailer. As soon as my wheels get onto the tailgate, the truck and trailer just starts coming back. Just, just sliding down the hill. The gravel's popping and the truck trailer Tractor and me are all gaining speed going down the hill.
2: And bobsled to the ER.
1: (laughs) I I was petrified. I was by myself there. I jumped off the trailer onto the ground. The trailer and truck are still sliding. I run and jump into the moving truck and jam the brakes, which doesn't do any good because all the weight still, like there's no weight on the back of the truck. The weight of the tractor is pulling me down, and finally, after just cramming on the brakes, it skids and and basically the trailer gets hung up, hanging out over the edge, and my tractor oh my is gosh. like dangling over like this big drop off, and I can't move. Like I, I start, you know, I put it in park, and then I start to take my foot mm. off the brake, and it starts going again. And so I had a cell phone, I was in cell range, and so I call a wrecker and I say, "Man." If I get out of my truck or take my foot off the brake, I'm going over a ledge. How quick can you get here? And, and they were like, well, we can be there in probably about 30 minutes. <laughs> Don't get and, in a hurry. I know. They're always so like calm and cool. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'll be right here. I won't be going anywhere. And I sat in my truck until the wrecker came, and I stuck my head out the window and was like, I ain't getting out of this truck. I'm not taking my foot off this brake. Just hook me up and get me out of here. And so he did. He, he was able to. Well, how long did it take him? You know, I really don't even remember. It was it was a non-dramatic rescue once he got there. <laughs> he, he just was pretty quickly able to hook on and Those just out. the best pulled kind of out. rescues. <laughs> so all that to say.
7: All that just, to say what? Yeah, what's well, the point <laughs> yeah, of the story? Uh, and that's and where, and that's what Merrick
1: Curiosity is going to. The point yeah, come on. the story was that. If Wetzel
7: would have been this there. This was
1: just an <laughs> exciting story that came up in my memory bank today <laughs> with Brent and Isaac. Isaac. It was totally relevant, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there What a yes, man. What hey, a yes, okay. He just wants, yeah. a, he moving, he just wants right a promotion. Along. I do have something I want to show you guys. You may have seen this on on Instagram. Isaac and I were traveling through, where were we, Isaac? We were in Illinois. We were in Illinois, and we walk into a Native American gift shop, and it was no ordinary Native American gift shop. It was a, I mean, huge log cabin building, very nice. It's a land of wonder. Multiple stories. Yeah. I mean, like, incredible diversity of products, Yeah, authentic stuff, buffalo hides, animal hides, stone points, shirts, art. $6 sunglasses. I bought, I so bought a nice pair of $6 sunglasses, so and then I, bought, I saw this on the back wall. And if that is not a black panther, I mean, I would say real black panthers, probably their heads aren't this big. I wish they were. And note that I said real black panthers.
7: Because um, there is such a thing. They might be. But
1: that is a I mean that's that's how art. much you
4: give for that bad boy.
1: It, probably more than it was worth. <laughs> but I didn't care. I told Isaac I said I don't care what it costs. I'll Thanks. Buy it. To Steal p- it twice the price.
4: Thanks,
6: but to I haven't card. figured
1: out where <laughs> to put it yet though. I'm curious to know what made it a Native American gift shop. I'm,
5: yeah. Uh, that lot. is
1: how they build themselves. There were well, I mean, there were billboards. I mean that that's what, so. uh, yes. what it was yeah. called. I mean, like Native American gift shop, next exit, turn yeah. right. Okay, and, and they and I also did like, wholesale. Yeah, we were, we were, I did like a bat turn on the interstate. <laughs> yeah, and and it was well, it was the worth lady it. was exceptionally nice. Oh, And incredible. when I walked yeah. up there with this, I figured she would be like, "Who are you?" We yeah, finally, and who, sold who would thing? buy this? And she acted like they sell these like every other person <laughs> that walks in there. Yeah,
6: she's got three in her home.
5: Nah. I mean, it's a nice-looking.
6: No, looking I don't know. She okay. was just Yeah, that
1: is a beautiful camera. Yeah. I'm telling you, you know, what, she was that, just like, oh, it's needs to be on so the front nice. the Pirates. Did she, she for real say that? Oh, she was excited <laughs> that we bought this. And she 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 wanted she, to sell me another one. I'm sure have she you, was excited, Have you She's probably been there for like 10 years.
7: She's like, Oh, man. They probably have a bet going back in the break room. I'm just kind of going through a
1: little checklist. Okay, I had, I don't make it a point to read too many of the, iTunes reviews. Okay. okay. I do, because there's some I really good I did have ones. A, a gentleman who brought into question me uh-huh. saying that the Washita Mountains <laughs> were the only mountains between the Appalachians and the Rockies that run east and west. And he, I mean, I I hope this guy's listening and I hope he doesn't think I'm being rude to him, but he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder when he was like, Clay, you might want to do some fact checking. <laughs> he's a little sassy. He was a little sassy. There, there was sass. There was some sass in there. There was sass, and I don't, I don't want to make this a thing where because I'm the guy with the microphone, sure. I make the guy without the microphone look stupid. Right. But that's going to be hard to do what? here. He's, he's just wrong. Uh, <laughs> That, this, there's he, so many more
5: diplomatic ways me. to do
7: that. He, he, he challenged me on on this thing. <laughs> the yeah. moral of in, the story is: don't challenge the man with the, the microphone. With the microphone. Well, well, I I mean, interviews. that's a
1: general yeah, yeah. Rule No, I, of pre- life. I, I appreciated his his desire for engagement. He's clearly invested in by the bare premise universe of what was said. <laughs> that, Metaverse, that, because the Oz he, he he said that the Ozarks ran east and west too, which. Granted, there are ridges and mountains in the Ozarks that, done, that do run east and west, but that does not make them a mountain range that runs east and west. The yep. Ozarks are completely jumbled. The Ozarks were formed by erosion. So there was a plateau. I, I mean, I go through this like, this podcast ought to be called "How The, the Orogeny of the Ozark and Washita Mountains, because I go through it about every other podcast. Also was, at our dinner table. When the South American continent <laughs> bumped into the North American continent, there was a bulge. The Ozark Plateau bulged. And th- that was in the north it bulged, and, and that, ero- that plateau eroded randomly. And so there's ridges that run east and west, north and south, southwest, northwest, any, any direction you want. Yep.
2: Say it with me, Josh. The- Boring.
1: box much? <laughs> okay. And, and the Ouachita's were formed. They were closer to the impact, and they actually buckled. And the Washita Mountains look like the furrows of a plowman's field. That long east west ridge.
7: What's the, the elevation ridge. that requires that? That means it's a mountain.
1: Oh, it, it, there. I do not believe there is an actual elevation that makes something a mountain. I
4: mean,
5: just
7: I think that. Check. Yeah, fact. You know, check. what? Aren't you an I environmental
4: soil
1: science major? So I mean, don't it, feed that. Shouldn't animal. you be able to tell us this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I. I don't think there's anything that makes it might them be a anymore. mountain. With Are you kidding? But, but, hey, hey, maybe, but, maybe, maybe. I could be wrong.
6: What, what brought this up is we were looking at a hydrological map of Arkansas earlier today, and it's just so clear that the Watchdaws run east and west. It's just like somebody got bored and drew lines across the map there. Yeah. That is not what the Ozarks looks like.
1: Yeah. As a proud Ozarker, born yeah. and bred. Yeah. yeah love yeah. the Ozarks. Not a... Yeah. So I, I don't want to make a big deal about it. Misty okay. has something. <laughs>
5: Most geologists classify a mountain as a landform that rises at least 1,000 feet, a.k.a. 300 meters. Or above its surrounding areas.
1: Oh, there you go. There you go. So, you know, the the highest peaks in Arkansas are about 3,000 feet. Okay. Appalachians are much bigger. Did you know that the the highest peak in the uh, east of the Mississippi is in southern Appalachia somewhere? And I think it's just under 7,000 feet. That's a high mountain.
7: Mm, Yeah, that is.
1: I believe it's... I don't want to say. I'll get more emails.
4: You know, I was I was and pretty. You'll be wrong that time.
1: I would be. Wrong. Yeah, <laughs> there's a mountain. I, I think it's called Mount Mitchell.
4: It was pretty cool. You know, we're we were in Maui sure a I'm couple wrong. weeks ago.
1: Check, check what's the biggest mountain in the Appalachian Mountain Range.
4: We're in Maui a couple of weeks ago, and you're. It's weird to sit on the beach, and then we went up to Haleakala. If I'm saying that right, Let National Park in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. and. It's ten thousand twenty five feet. Wow! You to go from involved? the beach wait, wait. to ten thousand twenty five feet.
6: Hey, here's another thing to fact check. I think that might be the tallest mountain in the world from its base. Oh, really? Which is Interesting. Far the far below the ocean. the ocean? Yeah. As opposed to Mount Everest, which is the tallest mountain from sea level. Oh, mm. gotcha. That would make okay. sense. I mean, it's it's Incredible. it's
1: impressive. What's the biggest mountain in the Appalachians?
5: Mount Mitchell. What.
1: Score. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Are you saying tallest mountain from base in North America? No. Just ever? in the
6: world. I'm putting it out there.
5: All Good right. job.
4: Just be bold. Yeah, absolutely.
5: Say the name, Josh.
4: Haleakala. Haleakala.
5: Mauna Kea. Okay, not that's sure that's I, that it, is, is name, that right? is isn't Hawaii. Monakea? That's a different
4: volcano. I, I knew
6: believe. it was a Hawaiian mountain because I went the first time I read that I thought no. <laughs>
4: and and he <laughs> was and just like thinking. thinking. No. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
4: Turns out I was wrong.
5: Isaac has a toddler, y'all, so...
1: <laughs> so um, Isaac is a toddler. This pod, this podcast, Lewis Wetzel, The Death Wind. What'd you think of it? Gen- general thoughts. He's a mean rascal. Yeah. He was mean.
5: He didn't strike me as the most psychologically healthy person. Yeah.
2: There's a lot... You know, I, I hate to oversimplify this, but I was listening to it again on the way up here. And there was a lot in there... The guy that y'all talked to up in Ohio or Illinois. where Chip. Yeah. And he was talking about how people thought, how Native Americans thought of Europeans and how the Europeans thought of the Native Americans as not being worthy, not being humans, you know, that each had that opinion. And the only thing I can relate that to is growing up, my grandmother had a pecan tree in the backyard. And I got a nickel for every blue jay that I could shoot out of that pecan tree. If I shot a red bird, she would have beat me to half to death. But blue jays were fair game because they knocked the pecans out of the tree before they got ripe, and they they were ruined. To this day, I sit in my backyard, and I got bird feeders out there, and and we sit out on the patio in the evenings when it's not so hot, and we watch the birds. And I love seeing red birds up there, but to this day, a blue jay flies up in my backyard, and I think, if I had a BB gun right now, somebody would owe me a nickel.
1: <laughs> it was just ingrained
2: in me from a small child. Yeah, that yeah. Blue Jays were bad.
1: Yeah. But And there's really nothing that's
2: gonna change that. No, they're beautiful. But my first thought when I see oh, them so, is he's gotta die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Man. I think. You know? I don't follow pretty, through with is it. It's getting dark quick. Pretty dark. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. you see you see the correlation. Yeah, yeah I of, do. That's
1: a great it, correlation.
2: That was the only thing.
1: Because it, it's not it's not really fair. It's no. like why is that bird? any different than that bird. Exactly. I'd
6: I'd like to point out, and we talked a little bit about this uh, on the phone the other day, but this idea that like, there was some cognitive dissonance in people. Like, I think that they were aware that they were making up excuses to dehumanize these people to justify their actions. A couple examples are, there were missionaries to the Native Americans at that point in time. Like, if they're not people, then why are we trying to evangelize to them? And secondly... If there is a context in which killing a Native American is wrong, i.e. the time that he got tried for murder, then you're kind of aware of the humanity of these people anyway. Yeah. And so I think that's part of what makes this story stand out and carry through to be like, man, even in a time when people were like doing something that on one level they knew was wrong. I mean, really effectively what was happening was like, I know it's wrong to kill other human beings, but I really want this land and they're standing in the way that like full stop. But, like, a lot of people did a lot of justifying in the middle of it, which is not to assuage all the actions that uh, Native Americans took in retaliation, but it is to say that, like, they were aware of the humanity. It was just something that they had convinced themselves of. In a certain context, this is okay. This is appropriate. Fear-based. You went too far.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. and that—what happened here in North America was has not been uncommon to planet Earth at all. Oh, no. I mean— it's still happening to this day in 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 some places and it's uh yeah it it's the problem of of humanity it it
4: i i, I could just imagine the justification that was given for you know and i think people had to turn a blind eye to what he was doing just you know that's just him because there were people who were not that way for instance daniel boone you mentioned daniel boone yeah. who had a completely different standard in the way that he interacted with people but man, there, there's, there's people out there. Uh, I mean, you run into it, and Zach probably sees it m- m- as much as anybody. But just that there's a, there's a, a thing inside of them that drives them to. It's almost a, it's almost an insanity uh, to do this thing no matter what the cost. And he just had this mindset to.
1: Well, th- this I don't is what, even know
4: if it was m- like, he, it's not that he wanted to murder. He wanted to eradicate Indians, you know,
1: well, See, whatever he, the cost. Wetzel, Wetzel, he defined the perimeter of what was acceptable to, to white culture during that time. I mean, th- this American culture during that time, because some people thought he was over the line. Other people didn't. And I, in an hour long podcast, I really didn't have time to even tell the whole story. He he became an a, a somewhat of an anti-government hero to the people on the frontier who were having trouble with Native Americans. And the government would come in and try to stop them and wouldn't be able to. And they would be like, Well, if Lewis Wetzel was here, he could stop them. And and he was actually more efficient as a guerrilla warfare guy than even the government. And so he he! All of a sudden, is brought to this position of of even more esteem inside these communities, you know. Um, and I can't get past. And again, this is not. I said it on the podcast, and this is not a justification. Like I said, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to justify. I'm just trying to make sense of how stuff like this could happen. And man, if you lived on the frontier. The, these Indian hunters, these Indian scouts, would be people that the vast majority of culture deeply respected and I want to say something else too, is that there's this idea that that you know white Europeans came and took the land from these Native Americans. There were generations when 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 Europeans first got here, where literally they've left their home in Europe, came here and then would have tried to take land from Native Americans to live. And, and there, you know, there was a time when Native Americans were saying, yeah, come on over here. But then there are people that are born here very quickly. And they wake up and they're like, well, we got to have a place to live. And so they start trying to acquire lands and whatnot. And very quickly you get people who are born here, who are Native people to this continent, how their, their parents weren't, their grandparents weren't. And it kind of takes, to me, it, it's, it's different than just like somebody coming and trying to take someone's land. And even the, the Native American chiefs told Tecumseh that when Tecumseh went to, Tecumseh tried to build this pan-Indian federation. Basically, Tecumseh went to all the tribes and tried to say, hey, we can push all the white people back to Europe. That's a simple version of Tecumseh's life. And many of the Native American leaders said, "Where are they going to go? They—it's they, like this is; these aren't the people that came here. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. A little bit. I get yeah. what you're saying. I think this gets at uh, another
6: thing that we talked at about on the phone. And this is like a regret that I have about this episode. Is until listening to it, I didn't even think we you you had tasked me with finding." somebody to interview on this and when i was listening to it i was like there is not a native voice present in this and this is a story that is wholly dependent on a native voice not wholly yeah. dependent yeah yeah half of the story is about him killing native americans right and so like i would just love to hear the other perspective on that because for me very easy to empathize with what you just said and and then i go like what's the other side of the story right cuz there is in a conflict two sides of the story and the victor often gets to write the history. Yeah, and that's true. And beyond that, I think that uh, we we are guilty of like a little bit of uh, essentialization in terms of humanity when we're trying to tell stories. And so it's like, there was so much going on where no one is a monolith. There were people who were pretty comfortable with this. And then there was other dynamics going on, like the idea where uh, Eastern tribes had already been pushed West. And so it's not like all Native American tribes were hunky-dory and pushing towards one goal. Like, they were fighting for resources and space within that and fighting with this thing that was external, white uh, colonizers. And I don't know. It's just like, I don't know that there is an answer. I don't know if if you can sum it up.
1: And and there's no possible way that Native Americans didn't. I mean, it was essentially genocide. And I mean, like all the terrible descriptors that we know. Which and I guess my point in, in in seeing the way people handled guys like Wetzel is that it was a little bit more like a frog in boiling water. Mm. Like the the this thing took place over the course of really 500 years. Yeah, uh, from the time the first white Europeans went inland into the into what's now the United States and spread smallpox and and, and you know. As much as 80, 90% of Native Americans died from disease to all the time, all the way up to Wetzel, which is pretty late history. I mean, like 18, Wetzel died in 1808. Honestly, yeah. that's like not closer that long to us than boots on the ground for the first time for white European yeah, settlers. Exactly. So it was just this long period. And, and, and it, and it was a war. Like Zach said, like Renella said, this was a war zone. Zach, what do you think?
7: Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed the podcast, Clay. Good job. Uh, right on. Uh, you All know right. what? I, I had never heard Wetzel's story before. Obviously, I had you and I had some conversations before. So yeah, you
1: actually never you didn't listen to the podcast yeah, before. You no. just heard me tell you stuff. Yeah,
7: you and I talked for ten minutes you know, before that podcast, and you shot me that song.
1: <laughs> yeah, listen to the very ballad, informative. Of <laughs> yeah, <very> informative
5: <laughs> ballad of Lewis Yeah, very
7: informative ballad of Lewis Wetzel. For making a,
5: uh, a diagnosis. Can, yeah, and can
4: you know. determine whether or not he's a psychopath based, this <laughs> on, the based on this ballad?
7: <laughs> uh, and, you know, I mean, I think that, I mean, I agree with what Isaac said and that, I mean, there's not really a good answer there, right? I mean, this was an awful situation. And yeah. to me, what I see is that, like, when I when, when I look at this, it's like, I mean, you throw, it's almost like, like cooking a good stew, Misty, right? You know, you throw Thank a bunch you. of ingredients in and no this is salt. what you get, right? I mean, so, it mean, if you've got this war zone happening, you've got, you know, probably, I mean, a lot of unethical stuff happening across the board, right? You've got these people on the border. You've got this one guy with this crazy trauma. and And when you throw humans into certain environments and they've got certain genetic tendencies, things pop up right? And Wetzel is one of those dynamics that pops up. Uh, and you could probably find, I mean, you mentioned too, you can go back all across history. You can go to Nazi Germany. You can go to genocides and all over the place. There's stuff happening now that you could find. My guess is you could find a very similar story to Wetzel's for that context, right? Yeah. You can find somebody who, you know, extreme trauma, uh, really laid against a certain population or people or, 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 or people group. Right.
1: Yeah.
7: Uh, and if they've got certain tendencies, uh, then that's what it's going to create. Right. And so, uh, you know, it's a sad story. I totally yeah. agree. I mean, I had the same thought Isaac did about, it would have been interesting to have a Native American voice in there. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially if you could have found somebody who knew Wetzel's story.
1: Yeah, right. And and honestly, we had a hard time finding
7: anybody that knew the story. Anybody that
1: because Wetzel was such a a periphery character, like he didn't, he wasn't a Boone that really influenced American identity. He wasn't a Davy Crockett. He wasn't a war hero. He was just—I mean, he was known literally just for what we told about, like killing. So he's not. There's not many people that we couldn't find an academic expert that said. Right. Raise my hand. I am the expert on
7: on, the, on this guy.
1: On this guy. Yeah. It was just all these little hodgepodge stories from different people, and then yeah. we found Chip. Chip Gross. Chip's yeah. our guy. What a guy. Incredible. Yeah.
7: So those are my general. I mean, I mean, is awful story. I, I, mean, I I didn't know even here it, when we spoke. I didn't know he had a brother, and so the uh, well. I guess I knew because he got, but I didn't know his brother had the aggressive tendencies as well.
1: All his brothers were heavily involved in just pretty rough stuff with Native Americans.
7: And so it's just a rough story and it just shows, I mean, what people can become in the right environment. Right. And in the right, I mean, you know, there's a little bit of genetics involved and there's, uh, yeah, the wrong environment, but you know, the, how the environment shape us and form us and, and, uh, and change us and, And, and I'm not saying that, I mean, even in, in the podcast, I think one of the guys that was interviewed, like I'm, it's not an excuse necessarily. Right. Sure. I mean, like Wetzel had choices,
5: right. Uh, He had choices. He Mm -hmm. could
7: have, he could have done, he could have been different. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's an awful story. I mean, it's one that you go back and I mean, I think you mentioned in the podcast too, where's the redemption in this. Uh, and it's tough. It's, it's a little bit tough to find other than, it makes me thankful for where I'm at yeah. yeah right I mean it makes me thankful for the context and where I'm at and uh, and the culture that we live in because even now in 2022 there are places mm-hmm. that are more similar to that environment that Wetzel was in than the environment that we live in. yeah uh, and cute. so yeah those are my musings on it
1: Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. for 15% off. The old timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrel's ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there, and we are there in the south. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity And more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. What'd you think, Misty?
5: Well, um, I think the part where (laughs) you said that it would have been hard for women not to pay attention to a man he <laughs> locks down to his knees
1: Dude, I, I was just speculating <laughs> I'm driving
5: down the car listening to it alone in the car and I'm listening and you say that and I say out loud in the car that's my husband <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> what? I just said that <laughs> oh, like, well, I, I'm so, just I'm it, really it
4: would have been very striking to see a
1: dude with <laughs> well, black that's hair all down through to his the ankle. literature. It's all through the literature. I'm just a messenger, man. You're all through the literature, it said m- that, that, that he was he never gave any attention to the ladies, but the ladies gave him attention. <laughs> oh, and well, they
5: did say that, yeah,
2: dude was running through the woods on a killer spree looking like Crystal Gale. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> he ever tripped over it <laughs>
6: he's oh.
7: too fast I, I mean he had to have it contained somehow for him to do what he did well, he had yeah. to have it contained
1: what does plaited mean plated hair plated it's that, braided. Braided.
7: braided that means that's a braid
1: okay well he wore it braided all the time
7: clay ah. you didn't mm. mention in the podcast that in our conversation i thought was real interesting was that he was he was very isolated right like i mean you said yeah. that he wasn't interested in the ladies. Yeah, like that. You don't think me, I hit on that enough? I mean, I I don't remember you talking about it at all. Maybe you did, and I missed it. No, it yeah. was in one of the. Mm-hmm. I didn't pick up it? on that. Was, yeah, <laughs>
1: but you're right. I didn't say it. I mean, because
7: to me, that was like so. If he walk, if Waltz in, walks into my office, that's one of one of the things that I think I. I don't think I. I don't think that made it to the podcast where I where I kind of laid out some of the things I would necessarily look for, but that would have been right. one that's kind of interesting to does, me.
5: It, does he have the capacity to build relationships?
7: Yeah. Yeah. Well, like what's yeah. going on there? I mean, yeah. that could be a result of the PTSD that he suffered from, or yeah. it could be other things. I mean, the fact that he was so obsessed that he took that vow so seriously to me is another thing I would want to. So if he comes into my office, I'm going to look at his, how he isolates and his, how, how he has relationships. I'm going to look at that obsession that he had. I'm going to look at the trauma. I'm going to look at the context.
4: Yeah.
7: Um, not there, just there was that he took it things. so seriously, but like also the idea of a
6: 13 year old boy making a vow, like based on that yeah. experience, not saying it would be fun to be kidnapped by Indians, yeah. but there was a lot of people who had that experience and that didn't, didn't ignite that. Yeah. Yeah. Killers, yeah. Right? Yeah, it would have been yeah.
1: interesting to be inside of their home to see how their dad, John Wetzel, just kind of who he was because all those boys just had no conscience. Yeah. And, uh, so he he must have been somehow been yeah. yeah. I mean he I, clearly I definitely time.
5: don't think that John Wetzel was father of the year.
1: <laughs> yeah, no.
5: I think we can, we can I mean we may be slow to we... diagnose, but uh, I'm just saying. Yeah. Hey,
1: okay, there was an we interesting that. fact that so John Wetzel dies when Lewis Wetzel is 26. His dad presumably was, you know, in his 40s or 50s when he died. So Wetzel's mother remarries a guy in town. So she moves back when, town. when
5: Wetzel when who's 46? The dad well, is forty-six? The is forty six? I mean
1: Lewis Wetzel, the man we're talking about, uh-huh. was like in his early twenties when his father was killed.
5: Okay. So his okay. mother
1: became a widow. Okay. And his the widow remarried. A city slicker. Yeah. And Lewis Wetzel never liked the guy. Never forgave his mom for the Didn't remarrying. kill him, though. No. Huh. Now there was there was, there's just so many stories that are so hard to tell. Once Lewis Wetzel um, witnessed a... Okay, let me back up. Lewis Wetzel only one time was noted to have killed a Native American woman. And the, and the way that this happened was, is that they did a raid. They were attacked by Native Americans, bushwhacked. And I almost want to think it was when John Wetzel and George Wetzel got killed, his brother and father. Well, the other brothers go and chase down the Indians that did this and engage with them and kill the men, and they had a woman with them. And they just were like, go on your way. Like They they didn't kill women. And this woman followed Wetzel and tried to basically, she wanted to be his wife. And she followed him around, and like he just kept like shooing her off, and this went on for like days.
7: Just what this this like woman in town, or this woman that the, was related to this? This other...
1: woman in the wilderness that he, Wetzel had just killed her people. Gotcha. And that would have been a thing no. inside of that would be like a cultural, yeah, like oh, like like gotcha, like I see take saying. me, like if my that people you... are dead, take me. Yeah. Gotcha. And and he ended up killing that girl. Really. Yeah, just because she wouldn't leave him she alone. She wouldn't leave him alone. Wild stuff. Yeah. Another time, Wetzel witnessed a... Uh, he, he was walking through the woods around an Indian camp, and he found an Indian baby laying on the ground. Like, uh, okay, baby. I mean, a living baby. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm only telling these stories just to... It's like we, Clay Newcomb, cannot fathom the brutality of that period and the things that he would have seen. And he... As the story went, basically, he like picks up this Indian baby, and he wasn't going to kill it. like he wasn't interested in killing a baby, and a squaw comes running out and says, "Ah, oh, it's my baby, that's my baby." And so he gives the baby to the woman, and the woman proceeds to kill the baby in front of him, and then another squaw comes running out saying, "Ah, oh, that was my baby." And this other squaw killed. This other lady's baby. I mean, just brutality, nonstop brutality. Where do these stories come from? Man, there's a lot of, lot. okay, they did not have video cameras, podcasts. What? Photographs.
7: Yeah. where's the YouTube channel?
1: But they did have a lot it's of people. YouTube
5: channel I'd watch. They had a
1: lot of people <laughs> yeah, that was. were interested in documenting stuff. Like, for instance, a fair number of the stories that we have about Lewis Wetzel came from a man named Lyman Draper. Who is probably the most reliable source of the frontiersmen during that time period? Lyman Draper was like uh you know Geraldo Rivera of Mr the
7: time, Draper
5: you know? <laughs> um, oh. I don't know and, uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: but Lyman Draper if Lyman Draper said it, it it it's not it doesn't mean necessarily that it's true, but it means that he recorded it true to what was told him, right. And, and, and I'm not saying Draper recorded that specific instance, but some of the stuff... A lot stuff of the
7: stuff is recorded by him.
1: Draper recorded, but just... And, and some of it probably is just a lie. There was another part of the podcast that I could not tell. I mean, really, the podcast could have been two hours long. Well, did I tell the story about the thunderstorm dream?
7: That, that does okay. not sound Okay. Now, see,
1: this is a story that you totally have to take with a grain of salt. Because, I mean, who knows if it happened? Lewis Wetzel's is the only one who knows if someone made it up and told it about him, but the story is so specific. It's hard to fathom someone just making it up because it was just, I'll tell you the story. Lewis Wetzel was being pursued by native Americans. He had done something to him and they were after him. Probably guess, killed I some what, of them. Yeah. Yeah. I can guess what? It is. So it was
4: Tuesday. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, it's Tuesday. It,
1: it got dark and a big thunderstorm came and he knew where there was an old abandoned cabin. And so he's like, well, I'll go stay in that abandoned cabin tonight. So he goes in the cabin, and rather than just sleeping on the floor, he and this is where a backwoodsman just earns his salt, is he said, I'm not going to sleep down here on the floor. I'm going to sleep up in the rafters just in case somebody comes in. And so he's asleep. He needs the salt to put
7: in the grave. He's he's asleep in the rafters,
1: and it starts thundering, and a couple hours after dark. He hears the door creak open and here comes three or four native Americans that are tracking him. And they had the same idea as him. It's thundering storming. We'll go stay in that old cabin. And so Lewis Wetzel is hanging in the rafters. It's like and, a horror movie. And they come in and they start a fire and they start talking and he can speak Delaware and Shawnee in multiple languages. Any and so really? he knew what they were saying. And He tells the story that one of them said, "I had a dream last night," and he said, "This Native American said that he dreamed of white-cheeked squaws with rosy red cheeks like buffalo blood, and eyes as black as coal." And like it, it, it just it was just such a random. Like you can you can envision a guy sitting around the fire, just saying, "Man, I had a dream about." You know, (laughs) what in his culture was beauty and this, and, and, you know, longing to be home probably. And, uh, it was just so specific and then they spend the whole night there and then the next morning they leave and then Wetzel goes out and ends up killing one of them.
7: He didn't kill him then. That's what
1: I was expecting. Well, he, he, he was outnumbered inside of a cabin and he just, I guess knew he he couldn't. How about that dude didn't sleep a wink? Yeah, no kidding. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, that story, there's only one place that could have come from. No one else was there with him.
7: Wetzel told that
1: story to someone. And how many times it came around. All I know is that I read that story one time, and and I will always remember white-faced squalls. That's what he said. That's what white-faced squalls with cheeks as rosy red as buffalo blood. And... And as and they may not have said coal, doggone it. Now that I'm saying it, I'm I'm beginning to question myself. Luckily for me, I have the book right here.
6: I don't think many people are going to fact check you on this.
5: Yeah, I'm True thinking story. about how could we.
6: You're yeah, you're I mean, one of a dozen yeah. people who have
4: purchased that
1: book in the last 50 years. Yeah, there is so little information about <laughs> Lewis Wetzel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh uh, uh, yeah. yeah.
4: That's why Steve wanted you to look it up. That's because right. Because he's like, I'm not pouring through. It.
6: Yeah. Uh, While you looked that up, I thought an interesting uh, perspective was Steve talking about how sort of the game of telephone of telling stories. Yeah. And I thought specifically of the turkey stories, how like I can conceive of a few guys sitting around talking about like, oh, here's the story of Lewis Wetzel. And then another guy goes, oh, that reminds me of another crazy Indian killing turkey story. Mm -hmm. And then a third guy sitting there goes... All right, two stories for Lewis Wetzel, you know, and goes, right. wet, you yeah, know, yeah. Yeah. it's just very easy for that to transmute. I don't know how that
2: guy, how he left turkey tracks and didn't leave his own
1: tracks. Like the same patches thought. of snow.
6: Had the yeah, same yeah.
1: I, I didn't describe. I it was, it was it was I said snow bank. Yeah. But it was it was pat, a patch of snow. Okay. Like so, he'd spring. just walk around
2: it and. Well, now I've be, done that to my brother before turkey season. Good I thing you a, didn't get killed. A turkey from the year before.
1: In the and, mud, we don't have snow.
2: I did I say snow? I didn't mean you snow. Said, okay. In, in the dirt, I was like, man, I, I, there was like one turkey goblin, and I didn't want him where I was at. So I went to where he was at, where he wasn't hearing one, and I made some gobbler tracks <laughs> in the road. Where I knew he'd find them. And he's like, man, this turkey will not gobble. I'm like, man, just hang in there.
1: He's in there somewhere. Okay, let me read you a little bit of something that, that also relates to us not knowing about Wetzel. And here's a key reason we don't know about Wetzel. The long-haired husky scout played on sensing no danger. He's 26 at the time of athletic build, especially muscular in arms and shoulders. His carefully braided hair knotted around his shoulders when combed out would reach nearly to the calves of his legs. He was on the tall order, small head, black eyes, piercing in the extreme, a long spare face, high cheekbones, a swarthy complexion, occasioned in a great measure by his exposure to the sun and very much pitted by smallpox so he had kind of like acne looking you know kind of like um and his ears bored and he wore silk tassels them in, in them at times, and some other ornament. So he had big pierced ears too, which I, I just I didn't say. Very that on attractive.
5: The <laughs> <laughs> so says the guy with gauges in his ears.
1: <laughs> be hard to look away. Uh, active on his feet, his legs were well proportions. Feet on the small order. A penetrating mind, sound judgment in regard to Indian counters, and a plan once laid, nothing could deter him from putting it into execution. Smart and active in all his movements, and a noted marksman. He could shoot and aim well, a strong constitution, and is blessed with remarkably good health. No education, not capable of keeping his own journey, which is a great pity he could not even write his name. Hmm. So he couldn't, he couldn't even write his name. We know a lot about Boone. We know a lot about these guys because a lot of them wrote letters to their families. Yeah. They they wrote about Gerstager. what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gerstager went and wrote a book. All these guys wrote, they, you know, Davy Crockett wrote his own autobiography, you know, um, in the in not too long after this guy. So this guy just had literally had zero education. Yeah. He sounds like a Marvel character. <laughs> it's interesting to me how they, I think back before you had pictures and videos. People paid a lot of attention to stuff. Yeah. High yeah. cheekbones.
6: Sure. They, they or the all, con- yeah. complexions. I mean, small I can just feet. imagine
1: like yeah. legs. People talking legs. about Brent like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What yeah. would you what would we say about Brent? Let's go <laughs> just, around the room. Uh, overalls. <laughs> uh,
7: overalls. Well proportioned
4: legs, small feet. <laughs>
6: uh are, do we actually have to do it? <laughs> Dude, one of the things in that description though that stuck out to me is uh, in this idea of like, it's difficult when you try and essentialize situations, but that is a human predilection to essentialize things. And I think that's why characters like this stick around is because he's very easy to essentialize. Like he has the singleness of purpose, which is I will kill all Indians and galvanizing per- personalities oftentimes have that like singleness of Whatever it is, Mm -hmm. like I can just, this is it. This is it. Let me tell, you know, like Tecumseh in a good way uh, was Pan-Indian unification, Pan-Indian unification. And so it's like very easy to tell those stories. It happens to be in Lewis Wetzel's case that it's a pretty abhorrent trait. But yeah, it's interesting when I look at people who have that singleness of purpose. It's really interesting to me because I don't possess Mm -hmm.
1: that at all. So, luckily, for you guys, I found the quote about the thunderstorm dream. I I love dreams, man. This is what he said. This is what Wetzel said that he said. I had a dream last night, ventured one of the Indians. I dreamed I was in the happy hunting ground, and my lodge filled with white-faced squalls, each with coal black eyes and cheeks as red as bison's blood. Good, grunted the other. I too dreamed that a snake stung me on the heel and it turned to a coal of fire. And when I tramped it, and I had to put my foot in the flame in my sleep. Ugh. They bound themselves closed, rocked to and fro, and then were asleep. Lewis Wetzel.
5: Yeah. Mm hmm. No dream. And he
1: got killed. Like I
2: dreamed, I had a dream I was gonna have a splitting headache.
4: <laughs> and it came so. true. It is. It is hard to wrap your mind around it.
5: It the, really the is brutality. Hard. And,
4: yeah. And you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's. We don't know what that's like. We have no concept. And I think that's. I think. I think in societies like ours, that's one of the things that makes it so tough for soldiers to come home Mm -hmm. is that it's so vastly different the lines are so blurred in a time of Mm -hmm. crisis like that and then to come home and to try to live a completely different life it's gotta it's gotta really mess with your psyche
5: yeah
1: zach tell us about ptsd so zach gave me a description of ptsd on the on, on our interview and i wasn't able to include the whole thing like yeah. what, what would so, be
7: the, some of the ways that you'd get that? So PTSD would be, uh, when you go through basically a life-threatening circumstance, right? Your body, like you, you're, you go through some kind of life-threatening circumstance, some kind of trauma. Uh, so, you know, it could be wartime stuff. It can be like a car accident you're in where it's, it's very traumatic. It can be abuse as a child. Um, uh, and, and when I say life-threatening, I mean, that's like the technical kind of component to that. Uh, but it really, any kind of tr- trauma you go through, that uh and, and basically your mind can't it happens so fast, it's so aggressive, it's so outside of the realm of normal that your mind really can't process it, right? So the so the the trauma just kinda gets stuck. Just kinda gets stuck. And so you'll see, so with you know, I mean it's real common and, and very widely known now. So like when the military guys come back, you have a lot of flashbacks where they just feel like they're back in a wartime setting where, you know, maybe there's a loud noise outside and they, for 30 seconds, they go back to, Mm -hmm. to some kind of wartime uh, scenario. Uh, You have, I mean, I've had clients that have had hallucinations due to it. Uh, Especially like childhood chronic trauma, right? When I say chronic uh, or complex. So when I say chronic, I mean, over a long period of time. So like multiple traumas over a long period of time or complex, meaning like different types, Mm -hmm. right? So you had maybe a, You know multiple types of abuse by different people and this Mm -hmm. kind of that kind of compounded on itself Uh, so you know it ruins lives it ruins lives and it's really uh, those with complex uh, complex trauma uh, and chronic trauma i mean it is a lifelong battle that they're battling through that you'll see and i've seen hallucinations you see a lot of depression a ton of anxiety that's why when you look at lewis wetzel like the fact that he isolated himself so much well, that very well could have been a symptom of the PTSD. Uh, now I can't say that for sure because it could be other things as well. Yeah. But so that would be something I would be looking at, right? Uh, it's like I mean, you get kind of the image of the war—the uh, war hero who comes back and wants to go live off, you know, in a cabin in the middle of the woods and not mm-hmm. not know anybody because his I mean that trauma just gets stuck inside you. Yeah, uh, and and it and it and it and it's hard to get out. It's hard to get out. How do you treat Uh, it?
5: That's what I was going to ask. Are there effective ways of...
7: Yeah. Uh, So, um, you know, um, lots of different opinions and thoughts on that kind of stuff. Uh, Medications oftentimes are involved to manage symptoms like the depression, the anxiety, those kind of things. Depending. So if somebody comes into my office and and they've got some trauma, so what I'm going to look at is, you know, first you want to assess it, right? Are we dealing with super complex, pretty simple trauma? What are we looking at? Uh, And then from there... uh, I want to assess their capacity to, uh, to kind of, because we really have to, you have to, uh, I mean, you've got to process it and you've got to get it out, mm-hmm. right? Like the, you have to find a way to, uh, so uh, I will use journaling a lot with people. We'll go back through and journal. Good luck
1: doing that with Lewis Wetzel. Lewis
7: Wetzel, he couldn't read. We'd have to talk it out with him. So, uh, and, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the pace we have to go at and and you, you want to get it. So we're going to go back and reprocess it. Uh, oftentimes you can't, you have to be really careful with that because you can re-traumatize people. Uh, so often, so, you know, you'll hear that all the time that, you know, my wife tells me I need to talk about it. I was like, well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Let's figure this out first. Or maybe we need to go to at a, at a, at a, uh, slower pace than what you might go. Uh, and so you're gonna, I'm probably giving you too much of an answer than you want. Mm. <laughs>
0: No, you, you, good. Can, cut you mm-hmm. can cut it all out you uh, can cut it
7: all out but basically you're gonna go back and reprocess it uh, slowly and at a, at, a and at an effective pace you're gonna teach them to handle it the, uh, that trauma also defines you right so like it tells you things so if you're you know if, if you're if you're uh, you know it tells you like so with Lewis Wetzel you would go back and be like hey your dad lied to you Indian you know Native Americans aren't all bad mm-hmm. right uh, mm-hmm. and so it's because that's that habit has been just ingrained inside of his mind. You so, have to go
1: back and fix it right where it got broke.
7: Yep. Yeah, so you can go back and fix the trauma, but you've still got all the bad habits. You still mm-hmm. got all the behavioral things that you've dealt with over the years. And so you have to you have to process through the trauma. There's different ways of doing that. Then uh, you've got to deal with the, the poor definers and bad habits and all the things that they've built up over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got to point them forward. There has to be forward movement. So, you can never just stay too much in the past. You never want to dwell on the past. You want to deal with it and move on. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, and so, you want to, you know, if you had Wetzel in the office, you deal with the trauma, you help him think differently about all the things that trauma created inside of him. Who knows what it created inside of him.
1: Have you and, ever actually thought about literally sitting with Lewis Wetzel, like the Lewis Wetzel in front of you and what you would do, what would you say to him?
7: Uh <laughs> I mean, I do it every day, Clay.
1: (laughs) No, but I mean, think about the actual, I mean, a guy that literally had done this and was this hardened and was this, like.
7: Yeah. I mean, I've dealt with people that have done things like that before. I mean, you just talk to them like a human being, you know, bring them, you bring them in their office and you talk to them.
1: What have you seen, brother?
7: What have you, I mean, you just talk to them. I mean you just talk to them just like a human, they're a human at the core. They're a human being, right? Uh, they've been through a lot of crap. Uh, and I've never that's met really a really
1: stiff language for the various <laughs> podcast. Actually.
7: I've never oh, been, Sorry, kids. I've never met a human being that didn't want to get better. You know, really?
1: And on, on, you think
7: Lewis Wetzel would have wanted to have gotten better.
5: Well, there might be a <laughs> selection factor here. People are walking into Zach's office. Yeah.
7: Yeah. So that's part of it. But I mean, if he if he now he might not have wanted to stop killing native do americans you think he felt but he wanted to stop the the, the pain that he was in he was hmm. not a healthy human being okay. yeah that's so an interesting distinction he would recognize that uh, well i mean he would have known he's in pain he would not know that there's something we could do about it and he might and, and to him so the
1: killing was a was a was a
7: symptom of the pain yeah, well, I mean that's uh, a bad you,
5: habit. Is what Zach? Yeah, describing. I would say the more trauma so habit. You,
7: Yeah, trauma induced behavior. Like the lightest right?
5: possible way to ever, you know. Yeah. count. Cal-
7: so I it mean, wasn't he, like it, he was just this happy, happy
1: guy. I would just,
7: guess. I mean, he lives by himself. He doesn't have any friends. He's he's, he's totally isolated. Messed up I mean, guy. he's a messed up dude. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. a messed. I'm not up arguing with it. I'm just I'm just trying in, to say
1: what what can we infer?
7: Now that's assuming that. You know, we're making a ton of assumptions, but that would be my first go-to, right? Mm -hmm. So he's in pain, and he does it, and and sometimes you get so used to the pain you don't even know it's there, right? Yeah. And so like he wouldn't know anything
1: but a war zone. It's so much
7: part of who he is that he probably can't separate it. Would be my guess. Yeah. Right. And so if somebody like that comes in and wants to work, yeah, absolutely. You, You could you could do some stuff with that. Now, the the challenge is. Would he want to work? All those kind of things. Yeah. So those would be my musings on it. Did you guys
1: hear at the end of the podcast that they exhumed his grave in 1948 or 42? Yeah, I think 42. That's part of what's
5: kind of crazy <clears throat> to me is that in recent history, people are yeah treating him like he's a hero. Yeah. I think that was the listening to it. That was okay. So you could say this is a different time and murder was much more common. Killing was is a war zone. You could say all that, but it's like nineteen forty two people exhumed his grave to treat him like that. I mean, they. there you are right? people
1: alive today that were alive in nineteen forty
5: two. I know, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah, like, exactly. I'm that's wild.
1: That's yeah. wild. Yeah. Yeah, it's and I, I, I was I was completely guessing. I wasn't able to go back to like I couldn't find, you know, like who who decided to drive to Mississippi yeah. and get the whatever kind of red tape they had in nineteen forty two. Maybe it wasn't much. To what? exhume the grave of Lewis Wetzel, carry him back to McCreary County, West Virginia, and rebury him. And you know they don't even know for sure that it was him that they actually brought back, but they they said it was. Didn't they Didn't say it long? Well, hair. they did. They did. But they I just it's, it's also it's not like that's in some government document or something. That it's just tradition might yeah. have
4: been Larry Wetzel and they got the wrong grave. Oh no.
1: <laughs> who also happened to have Gale, <laughs> Crystal Gale's <laughs> linked hair. Yeah. And no. does that
5: hair last for That's,
1: that's suspicious. what I thought too. Yeah. I'm just saying Especially in, a, in probably the kind of casket G- It's a Wetzel self, would have been.
6: self-serving like the guy who dug him up and b- moved him all the way to West Virginia and buried him gave the account. So it's like kind of yeah. self, self-interest. Mm-hmm.
4: You're not going to be like, I have no idea if it was the guy. You know, all these stories <laughs> may be made up. Lewis Wetzel might have been the nicest guy in the world. He might not have even existed. <laughs> and nev- never even it's
5: hurt
7: Andy. It's a prank de- by his brother. De- his yeah. brother just shared all these stories about him.
1: Well, that's <laughs> that's what is so hard about telling any of these stories. So when I was doing the, the stories on, uh, well, j- just in all the stories that I tell, you often interview multiple people to tell one story, right. and oh, I mean, it, even Dad and I. You know, Dad since mid seventies, and now I'm, you know, forty something, and we tell stories different now. That happened to us at the same time in the same place. Like the and two it, of you tell different yeah, versions like he of says, the same story. He it, says, "No, it didn't happen like that." And I'm like, "It happened like that, Dad. That's the way it happened." Who's and right? he's Like, no. Well, I mean, it has me questioning myself. Well, What I always you, say. Yep. And and just how quickly. And then this is hundreds of years ago. And it's come down through so many people who have polished the story. I mean, and, and kind of maybe just told a little different or told it easier or told it with a little different emphasis or a little different narrative. And that's why I like it's really fun when you find a really hardcore story that is just vetted from so many different places, and that's why Daniel Boone is such a cool guy because his life was incredibly well documented for the time period,
4: yeah. like
1: unbelievably well documented, which was unusual. So that's part of what makes Boone who he was. Is we just simply knew who he was. We had all these different things, which like guys like Wetzel, we don't. Um, Brent, why don't you uh, finish this out reading the Ballad of Lewis Wetzel? So this is a this is a poem by Philip somebody. The Life and Times of
2: Lewis Wetzel. This is a poem entitled The Ballad of Lewis Wetzel by Glenn Baker. My parents came from sturdy stock. They were tall, brown, and people and merry, with the keen eyesight of the soaring hawk and lips like the red hall berry. Horny-handed folk injured to toil, they marched in the pioneer. That's what that says. (laughs) And I could not read it fast enough, but that's what it said.
1: Carry on. It means calloused hands.
2: Calloused-handed folk,
1: <laughs>
2: inured to toil, they marched in the Pioneer Legion to carve a home from the virgin soil of Virginia's far farthermost region. And I was born on the wilderness road in a tawny sunlit clearing. I cut my teeth on oxen goad, and had a backwoods rearing. And I remember the cabin there in the clearing on the big wheeling, the coarse but wholesome pioneer fare and the herbs that hung from the ceiling. <laughs> I keep waiting for this and Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. In childhood years, when days were long and the first spring winds were blowing, my mother humming an old Welsh song and my father bent to his hoeing. And then one day the Indians came, and with their inhuman yells and laughter, and our cabin blazed with rifle flame, and smoke went to the rafters. But the walls were staunch, and the red men fled, and the days flowed on as before, till I grew too tall for a trundle bed, and I slept on the punching floor. And so I came to my tall manhood with a woodman's knowledge and daring, and so with a rifle for livelihood. I started my forest faring. And once I was turned the homeward way across the trail of some savages and hurried on through the dying day, sensing a scene of red savages. And when I came to the clearing there, when the path of maize was greening, I saw my mother tearing her hair and walking the woods with her keening. And my father's form so still and cold, with the riven skull that was hairless, and all the remained of a loved household shattered by red hands and careless. And over the grave we dug that night in the raw, rich frontier clay, I swore an oath to harry and blight the red race by night and day. I swore it there as the forest gloomed, forbidding and dark in its silence, a savage oath that forever doomed us all to a life of violence. And many a red brave homeward bound from the latest scene of his pillage, heard in the forest a moaning sound and died within sight of his village. And there's more. (laughs) For thus I played on the red man's fear as I blew through my rifle bore, warning him with his end was near with the death wind of border lore. And down the years I kept my vow till the red tribes westward turning, left this valley to settler and plow in freedom from pillage and burning. And time rolled on, and my breath was stilled, and they laid me away to the long rest. But even in death, my spirit willed to continue on with the long quest. So still I followed the trail of braves, and in wraith-like still I go stealing over the hands of the Ohio laves and the Cincinnati to the big wheeling. And on autumn nights when the dark winds carol and thunderstorms roll and rally, you can hear me blow through my rifle barrel the length of the Ohio Valley. Mm. Thus say Lewis
1: Wetzel. Pretty dark. What do you think, Misty?
5: It's just weird to hear something that dark rhymed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now when, when, was that, when was that written? I don't know. I couldn't find when it was written.
5: I'm sorry. But it, it it feels like like a Christmas story that you would read to your kids, yeah. especially with Brent's voice on it. I can't wait. And for I, that, and it's like this is really the worst thing I've ever I tore about. I am just
1: it just described the time. I mean that the the that that's and that's the whole point I think of this is to me, or just kinda like the takeaway is just like it was it was a war zone. And the it's interesting to feel like that could be normal to just have in your sights a race of people to just <coughs> annihilate. Well, but and and you know and they and and he told why they were mad at him. I mean they they burned mm-hmm. his cabin and they Gilles. killed mm-hmm. his dad. I
4: mean you think about it, it, it really is a singular perspective because right. you think about it from the perspective of a Native American. Exactly, people and you know coming in and. and Killing people and taking people and taking your things, of course, you're going to retaliate. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, uh, man, it's hard when, when the, the perspectives are so, so, uh, spread apart and there's, there's a, no opportunity for really, mm-hmm. uh, humans mess things up. I mean, yeah. that's one thing you can look at the earth and realize that humans mess
1: things up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but the, the redemption is, is that, all it takes for things to get right is for people to start making one right decision after another.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the, the golden ticket that we have as humans is we get to decide how we, how we forecast our life in terms of the way that we think about other people. And, and you know, th- th- these kind of stories too give me empathy for people that I know live in a completely different philosophical Place or have a different worldview because you can see. I mean, I don't want to. We know which side was really in the wrong in the macro picture. I mean, just the side that was committing genocide and pushing right. the people out of their ancestral lands. Like that's not up for debate. But at the same time, you see why these people loved Lewis Wetzel. It's like they they were they were in a war zone and their enemy he protected them from them. But you go to the other side. And you see these, the Native Americans' perspective of, you know, these people came in and were taking our land and we had no choice and we had to fight. And basically, you just see that your perspective is not the only one. Louis Wetzel
2: was taking one thing off of the list that was out to hurt those folks. You know, they were, it was a big enough struggle just finding something to eat, Mm -hmm. raise your kids, you know, up to, where they would live, where they could help—that they they had to look up to that guy, or they—you see the reason why they did, yeah, because he was taking one one fear away from them, you know, something that they could they could check the box off and say, okay, we don't have to worry about that today because Lewis is making the rounds out there. We can we can focus on trying to get this corn to grow, which was something mentioned about corn in that poem I just yeah. read. So. I mean, you see it. It doesn't make it right, but you see where those folks—they were in that space at that time, and that was something that they had to worry about. And he was alleviating some of that pain.
4: You know, uh, listening to Brenton talk, it makes me think about—you know—our society these the, these days is so polarized. And you, the older I get, the more I recognize that the answer is not found in the extremes. Yeah. Right. You That's know what I so mean? True. The answer is found in the principle of things not in I mean Lewis Wetzel was extreme. He yeah. saw this thing that he perceived as a threat, as a something that needed to be annihilated and he went hardcore extreme. And uh and then you have I'm sure you had people on, on the Native American side that's like let's wipe all these white men out cuz they're destroying our lands and the answer is not found in the extremes.
1: Yep. Well, thanks for coming, Zach. Yeah, it was fun. Appreciate it. Thanks so for So will me. you
4: be giving us written diagnoses of all Absolutely. our problems? Will you diagnose Brent? You
7: just well, real quick. You guys will all be getting a bill in the mail, <laughs> first of all. Yeah. Pay that promptly. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and the, the diagnosis will be coming shortly. What do you think after? about Isaac's nickel.
1: tattoos? What's that tell you about a man? Isaac Neal's covered I, in tattoos. I'm just Insecure.
7: Noticing, <laughs> I'm just noticing. He's
1: really secure with his legs.
7: <laughs> he does like show a lot of leg. I'm going to say the lack of color. Oh, is what I would ask him he's about. He's monochromatic.
1: Oh. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't
6: have any color tattoos. No it's color all tattoos. Black ink. They're all black ink. Yeah, uh, that's cool.
5: I want you I'm to ask not saying him cool about, or not cool. I'm just asking him about it. I think the most fascinating part of Isaac's tattoos is how much forethought he put into them.
6: Okay, <laughs> some of them a lot. <laughs> some, some of some them, are them.
5: Are none. I like
6: them. <laughs> some, <laughs>
1: some of them, yeah. None. <laughs> I saw that in a book and thought it looked cool. <laughs> are you going to get a tattoo of me on your on, on somewhere? Are you funding it? Sure. Yes, <laughs> <laughs>
7: I'll get to pick the spot. Don't don't, don't do this, Isaac. Uh, this is bad.
1: Look, you could put that picture of me shooting that bear. Oh, see that picture and that nice picture. Yeah,
6: no, I like the one with your uh, yeah kid on your back. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, I don't want you to put my kid on, tattooed on. That'd you, be though. creepy. I'll blur out the face. <laughs> <laughs> you could put those little stickers. Those yeah. little Pixelated <laughs> face. Yeah. tattoo. I like it. It would be cool to have
4: a Brent tattoo though. Oh. Who doesn't have one? I
2: want well, a life-size tattoo of Brent's face. Smiling. <laughs>
1: we're working on it.
2: Yeah, that'd yeah. be good.
1: <laughs> well, all right. Excellent, guys. Well, the next Bear Greases are going to be different than this one. Hopefully so a little death, more. The Death Wind. For we're really? pulling ourselves <laughs> out of the arc of darkness. Oh, good. Bringing it back I thought up. it was really
5: poetic how you said that at the end, by the way. Yeah, there were a couple points in this in this podcast that I had I had thoughts about. But What did I say? Yeah, you, you just talked about coming out of the arc of darkness. and
6: it, Mr. Rogers.
1: Yeah. Mr. Rogers. I'm looking yeah. forward
5: to that
7: podcast. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the Mr. Rogers podcast. Mm-hmm.
1: Thanks, guys. Keep the wild places wild.
0: Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me... Enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana. They're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around
1: New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. And it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash grease.